Amen. Psalm chapter 23. We're looking at Psalm 23, verse 1 this morning. One of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, one of the most famous psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to read this for us. Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And our verse that we're going to be looking at this morning right here, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, we really do, and we need to be clear about this, live in the valley of the shadow of death. Those of you who know me know that I like to think of myself as a positive person, and I have what is called a positive eschatology. That's the word I use for it. But that does not mean that we don't live in the valley of the shadow of death. Amen? That does not mean that there is not evil lurking around every corner. That does not mean that there aren't demons trying to destroy you. That does not mean that there isn't death. Amen? We can't be triumphalistic about life. That's the word for it. We can't be delusional. As Christians, we are to be positive, but not delusional. Jesus said, as long as you live in this world, you're going to have affliction. Yet he promises us victory over death, not the absence of death. Victory over our enemies, not the absence of enemies. Amen. Amen. And here we see that not only do we live in the valley of the shadow of death, and I can imagine King David on the hilltop, looking out over the valley as the sun is setting in the west and watching the shadows lengthen as they do and, and, and picturing this is a good illustration of our life. We live in the valley of death, but more than just death, the shadow of death looming large in our imaginations. And, and shadows can be more terrifying than the thing itself. You know, what does Paul say about death? He says, to die is gain. And, and that's a poetic way of saying that death for the Christian is just gain. It's all upside. That's, it's a weird thing to say because death is our enemy, our, our mortal enemy. And yet when you die, the only thing death can do to you is introduce you to your Savior face to face. Amen? To die is gain. But we're not just in the valley of death. We're in the valley of the shadow. That's death and despair and demons and afflictions and difficulties and financial difficulties, relational difficulties, health difficulties, all the various tests of faith. They are like a shadow looming over us in our imaginations. Have you ever been afraid of something and then it turned out to be nothing? That's the shadow haunting you. you know, I had a, a cockatiel at one point in my life of, to no fault of my own. I didn't purchase it. Someone else in my family purchased it or got it. But we had this cockatiel. It was about this tall. I think it was a cockatiel. Some bird. And it behaved just like a dog. 
No matter where you were in the house, if you listened very carefully, you could hear those little skinny legs clicking on the tile. And you knew that cockatiel was looking for you. I'm not kidding. And it would come to you and squawk until you picked it up and held it or let it go on your shoulder like a dog, like a dog. And I can remember vividly sitting at the dining room table once and looking down this long hallway we had at the time. I mean a long hallway, like the shining long. And, and that cockatiel was walking toward me. Imagine it in your mind, right in the center of the, of the hallway, about this tall. I was like, it died eventually. I was so happy that it died. I did not kill it, though. But, it, it, but just imagine if the sun or the lights in the hallway were, were illuminating that cockatiel in just the right way so that a shadow was cast on the back wall. What's more terrifying than a six-inch cockatiel, a six-foot cockatiel <laughs> squawking at you, looming over you? And, and that, I think, is the Christian life. There's a lot of stuff to be afraid of, really. But I, the, the biggest threat to living the Christian life and living victoriously and standing up in the face of your fears and doing the right thing and answering your calling, the biggest threat is not the thing itself, but the shadow of the thing in your imagination, your own anxieties and your own fears. See, David says in the face of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. That doesn't mean there isn't evil. It means he's not going to let that fear get to him. Amen. He's not going to let that fear keep him from doing what he is called to do. He's not going to hesitate or balk at his mission simply because of the, the boogaboo, the, the monsters under the, under the bed and in the closet. Why? Well, look what he says. He says, for you are with me. If God is with you, whether it be a six-inch cockatiel or a six-foot cockatiel, right, there's nothing to be afraid of. Whether it be death or demonic activity or illness or financial stress, or there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, World War III, I keep hearing that when I turn on the television. You don't like to hear that. Nuclear war, invasions on our southern border. There's a lot of crises out there. Ah, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. Yet we as Christians should say with David, I will fear no evil. Not that there is an evil, but I'm not going to let it stop me from doing the right thing. Amen. Amen. Now, the reason David can say that is for, there's three reasons that he mentions here in verse 4. Two are obvious. One, he says, he will not fear the evil because he knows that the Lord is with him. And two, he knows he is intimately acquainted with the instruments that the Lord uses in his life, the rod and the staff. And the rod and the staff that God uses in his life brings him comfort and, and casts away the fear and then also, it's implied, but it's the most important and the most beautiful of all the promises, he knows the Lord himself. I'm going to look at all three of those. Look with me at the first one, verse 4. Why is David not going to cower in the face of his fears? Because he knows that the Lord is with him. He says, you are with me. Now, how does he know that the Lord is with him? Because he knows the promises. He's read his Bible. We need to really be Christ Church. This is not in my notes, but it's something I've been thinking about lately. We need to be people of the book. We are people of the book, amen? That means we need to be a literate people, a reading people, a learning people. You need to be cultivating a spirit and a, a longing.
your heart and in your family's heart to know more and more about the Bible. You should be reading the Bible. If, you, if you're not reading other books, you should at least be reading the Bible. Amen? And you say, I'm not a great reader. They have audio Bibles, right? There are people who have been paid to read the Bible to you. You have no excuse. You've got to know the Bible because the Bible is filled with the promises. And the more promises you have, the more victory you can have, the more peace and rest you can have in the face of looming shadows. You need the word of God. And he says in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, and David knew this passage. David knew it. It says in Joshua 1 verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you, Joshua, all the days of your life. There will not be a single moment in your life where any of your enemies will be able to stand before you. You will have victory. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Joshua. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Sound familiar? See, Moses had to face Pharaoh and the armies of the Egyptians. And Joshua had to face the giants in the land. And you too have your own shadows and your own fears and your own giants, if you will. But the Bible says this very clearly, I will never leave you. God says this, I will never leave you. I will always be by your side. You will never face anything without my omnipotent, sovereign, loving power at your disposal. Amen. You say, but that's a promise to Joshua and a promise to Moses, but I'm not Joshua and I'm not Moses. Listen, all the promises of the scriptures are yours in Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, just to make it explicit. The author of Hebrews tells you, Christians, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be with you. That is your promise to claim and to live by. What is the great commission? Go, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, say it with me, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And if you can really truly believe that, when you are fighting with your spouse, when you feel like that covenantal tie is being strained, when you are uh, rolling in bed left and right, anxious about the financial situation of your business, you need to process this truth and preach to yourself, you said you would never leave me. You are here. I'm not alone at the end of this creepy hallway by myself. I'm with the Lord and he is with me. Amen? The next thing, though, that David knows is that he is intimately acquainted. He knows He doesn't just know about, he knows experientially the rod and the staff. Now, what was the rod? Well, it's very simple. The rod was a symbol of ruling and symbol of governing, and it is what a shepherd used to kill wolves and discipline naughty sheep. And and we are sheep, are we not? And so the Lord needs a rod from time to time. And we are prone to enemy attacks, and so the, the Lord needs a rod from time to time. But the Lord also has a staff. And what is the staff? Well, it's a very versatile tool. It has a crook on the end. You've all seen it. I put it on my Facebook wall so some of you would see it this week. And it's uh, used, it's long, and it's used to reach out and push you. You ever been pushed by the Lord? That's his staff. It doesn't always feel great. It feels like a goad sometimes. But he pushes you. And he can also hook you and he can pull you. Pull you in for a, a closer look, right? Pull you in perhaps so that you can get a swat with the rod, right? Out of love, right? All chastening is done out of love. But he can push and he can pull. And when you are trying to go off in the wrong direction, he guides you with his staff. 
keeping you on the straight and narrow path, leading you beside the still waters into greener pastures. Amen? Right? The reason he needs instruments is because we're sheep. And what are the instruments that he used? What is actually the rod and the staff that Jesus uses to push you and to pull you and to discipline you and to guide you and to, and to, to comfort you? What are the instruments that he uses? Well, there's a lot of instruments that Jesus uses. And around here, we call them means, means of grace. They're instruments that Jesus from heaven uses through the Holy Spirit to tend you in your life. Following me? And what are they? Well, one, it's his law. The law is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. It's much easier to walk in the darkness if you have a light. The law can show you how to live, how to make it through the valley of the shadow of death. How, which way do I go? Do I go left? Do I go right? What speed do I go? His law, his law, a perfect law of liberty, a perfect law that brings life into your, in your life can illuminate your path and show you how to make it through the particular trial you're going through. It can show you how to defeat the giants in your life, how to overcome the fears of the looming shadows in your life, the law. And it is a truly, it's truly a shame that the law of God is so um, ignored in, in the modern day church. It really, even the, the, the phrase, the law of Jesus, is something you don't hear very often. It's sort of uh, old-fashioned, kind of tacky right? Legalistic. No, the law is how God guides us. Amen? If you don't know his law and you're not receiving his law and you're not being equipped by the the pastors to teach you his law, then you don't have the rod and the staff in your life and you can't be pushed and pulled and guided properly. Amen? Uh, Recently, we wrote a letter to the uh, chief of police in the town of Opelousas and one of the, 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 the grievous aspects of that is that the comments in the, uh, the Facebook feed demonstrate just how ignorant people are of God's law. They don't know the law, and they certainly don't know how to apply the law. And where there is no law, the Bible says the people perish. We must teach the law faithfully so that we can be pushed and pulled and guided by, by Jesus Christ, who guides us by his rules, Amen? What does King David say about the law of God? He delights in it. Isn't it nice to know in the midst of trial what to do? Isn't it nice? What does he say in James chapter 1? If any of you lacks wisdom, pray and ask for it, and he'll give you wisdom. That's in the context of a trial. And he gives you that wisdom primarily through his Bible, through his word, his spoken word. But also, another staff and rod are the tests of faith that you go through in your life. And there's a lot of tests of faith, and all of you are going to go through them, and some of you are going through them right now. There's health tests, amen? There's relational tests. There's financial tests. There's the, what I call the waiting room test, where you just have to wait on the Lord and wait on the Lord. There's all these tests in your life. And if you can trust the Lord and make it through them on the other side, he will have guided you. He will have used the staff and the rod on you. Amen. And as you age as a Christian and you go through these trials and you've experienced the staff, oh, you wanted me to go right. I got it. Okay. Oh, you wanted me to go left. Oh, you wanted me to slow down. You wanted me to change this about my life. You wanted me to repent of this. You wanted me to shore up this particular weakness. And you've experienced the staff and the rod. 
and you make it through, and then you do it again, and you do it again, you get stronger as a Christian, amen? Your faith and your loyalty gets more and more like God's, amen? Have you ever experienced as parents when you use the rod on your child, which, by the way, the rod of the parent is another one of Jesus' rods, but it's literally a rod. It's a paddle. Have you ever experienced after spanking your child for their sin, them loving you more? Have you ever experienced where they, they feel closer to you? It's interesting. You wouldn't think it. But there is a comfort in knowing that if I step out of line, Jesus is going to use the rod on me. There's a comfort in knowing that he has your back against one of your worst enemies, yourself. Amen? There's a comfort in that. Why is David able to make it through the valley of the shadow of death? Because he knows the rod and the staff, and the rod and the staff give him comfort that he's not alone, that Jesus is going to use various instruments and means to help him. Another one is wise older Christians in your life. My, my family and I, we recently went on a cruise, and um, it's not my favorite thing to do, uh, but the main problem is that when the ship is going on sea, um, there's waves, and the boat rocks, and there's people throwing up, and it's... Yeah, I, I don't want to be tacky, but, but when I woke up that first morning, I mean, everybody looked like they were stumbling around because the ship was moving. And one of my kids said to me, and I thought it was a great illustration, they said, you know what I was thinking, because one of my kids, they were scared, like, whoa, and you look out the window, and these are like nine-foot waves. You don't see these every day. They're huge. Of course, the ship is cutting through them, but you're rocking a little nerve-wracking if you haven't been on a big ship at sea before. And one of my kids said, they said, well, I keep just watching the staff. And I think, unless they freak out, I'm not going to freak out. <laughs> because they've been through it. They've been through it. The staff has been through the storms time and time again. They've been on that ship a long time. And they know the captain, right? And they know the captain. You see, there's older Christians in your life who have been through what you are going through. You say, no, 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 my trials are unique to me. They're not. The Bible says that every single test and trial you go through, others have gone through before. And Jesus has gone through it as well. It may not be exactly the same in its intensity or in its link, but it is the same type of tragedy. Others have been there before. And you can look to older and to wiser Christians, and you can say, well, if they're not freaking out, I'm not going to freak out. Amen. They know the captain, and they've been through this before, and they're telling me it's going to be fine. Now, I want to just say this real quick, but if you don't have wiser, older Christians in your life, then there is a rod and a staff that you don't have access to. One of the ways Jesus guides you through the valley of the shadow of death is with the rod and the staff of older, wiser Christians. If you're not open in your relationships, if you don't know them, if you don't speak, if you're not transparent, if you don't share, right? if you don't become a part of a church to such an extent that you know people and they know you, you're not going to have that rod and that staff. And you're not going to then have that comfort. And the shadows of life are going to petrify you. Amen? So if you're new to Christ Church, if you're a visitor, we are very happy you're here. But you need more than a family. You need a church. Amen? And that also brings up the next subject. You need pastors and elders. One of the ways that Jesus shepherds his people is through under-shepherds. They're called under-shepherds. Pastors and elders are staffs and rods. 
And God uses them to guide, to push and pull. Ever had to make a big decision in your life? You want God's guidance? One of the ways you get his guidance is by talking to your pastors and your elders. Amen? That means you have to talk to them. You have to be transparent. You have to be open. You have to be ready for a relationship. If you're simply an audience member, I don't know why you would come here and be an audience member, but if you're just an audience member, you don't have the rod and the staff that God wants you to have. He wants you to have parents. He wants you to have friends, wise Christian friends. He wants you to have overseers, what the Bible calls under shepherds, to help you in this life. Amen? So make sure you avail yourself of that. And it's very important to say, because elders disciplining, guiding, telling you what to do, knowing your business is so uncouth these days. It is so old-fashioned. Cultish even. You know, that's why we have the house church movement, really. Have you heard of the house church movement? There's nothing wrong with having church in a house. The disciples had church in a house. But the house church movement is a large movement. It's an anti-authority, anti-hierarchical movement where people meet in homes and there's no bosses. There's no elders. There's no pastors. There's no discipline. It's all egalitarian. It's all flat. There is no rod and staff there. Right? It's not of the Lord. Meet in a house, that's fine, but, the, but Jesus promises you one of the blessings of the covenant is shepherds that you can rely on and that you can go to. Amen? That's one of the reasons for the megachurch movement. People don't necessarily want to be in submission to elders. They, who wants the rod and the staff, right? Sheep don't usually want that. And so stubborn sheep with, with egalitarian worldviews and anti-hierarchy worldviews, oftentimes find themselves in massive audiences so that they can be anonymous and so that they don't have to be accountable and so that they don't have to feel the rod and the staff. The Bible has as an ideal about one elder per 10 households. How could that possibly be in a megachurch? I don't believe the megachurch movement is a good movement for Christianity. I don't, I'm not saying that they're not Christians, and I'm not saying you can't grow in a megachurch, but it's not ideal. Ideal is to have a pastor and an elder, at least one, that you know and they know you. Amen? And that, of course, is also why we have the small group movement. The small group movement is largely in reaction to the lack of shepherding in the megachurch movement. So they make small groups where people can cluster. The only problem is those small group leaders, they're not ordained pastors and elders. They're not necessarily called by Jesus to be under shepherds. They're just good folks. You need someone who is called to the office of elder slash pastor, overseer, under shepherd in your life if you're going to experience the rod and the staff of Jesus. Amen, Christ Church? Amen. Now, let's move on to what I believe is the best. Oh, no, it is the best, and it is my favorite. Look at, look at the verse that we're looking at, verse 4, and I want you to notice something that dawned on me this week. I, actually, another pastor pointed it out, and it's very insightful. If you look at Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You see there in verses 1, 2, and 3, he's speaking about Jesus. Uh, He's speaking about God. Amen? Okay, get it? But then look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now he's not just talking about God. He's talking to God. You see that? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. 
Now, you cannot let this point pass you by because that is, that is everything. You know, the Bible says that the, 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 the church over historically for 2,000 years has said that the purpose of man, the chief end, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You've heard that before. But how can you glorify him if you don't know him? How can you enjoy him if you don't know him? David knows God. Now, when, I, when my family and I, we went whitewater rafting before, and I, I grew up as a kid whitewater rafting all the time, and it's a great pastime. Um, but you don't go whitewater rafting by yourself. You always have a guide because the guide knows the rocks in the river, right? And, and they know when they see that rock that they need to go left and not right, right? They say, oh, I know that rock. And when I see that rock, I go left. And I know the various, uh, you know, I know the shape of the rock. Now, how hard is it to get to know a rock? Just need a little bit of time and some eyeballs. You can see it. Oh, I see the shape of it. I can see the color of it. I can see the size of it. And I know generally how to respond to the rock. It's very easy to get to know a rock because they do not change. But, you know, a a whitewater rafting uh, guide also knows the river, and it's a little harder to know a river than it is to know a rock because rivers change based on the rainfall. Amen? But how many of you have ever known a horse? It's harder to know a horse than a river and harder to know a river than a rock, right? Why is it harder to know a horse? Because horses are temperamental. They're moody, right? And if you know a horse, though, you know what he hates, you know what he likes, you know what will get you kicked in the face, right? Right? You know what horses should be allowed to ride children around because you know that horse. And it's always a little scary to ride a horse that you don't know because it takes time to get to know a horse. But it's even harder to know a horse is to know one of your friends. Like for a guy to know a guy friend takes years. It, I feel like for me personally, it takes probably at least 10 to 15 years before I feel like I know another guy and that they know me. Why is it harder to get to know a friend than a horse? Because people have insecurities, right? People have fears. People have sins. People have guilt. People have shame. And so they don't exactly come out and let you get to know them. Amen? There's people that I've known as acquaintances for 20 years, and I still don't know them because they don't want me to know them. And perhaps I don't want them to know me. You you just, the way you get to know someone is you tell them about yourself. You share your heart with them, right? Is everyone following me? And after time and after a lot of experience, you get to know what your friend likes and what your friend hates. And you know what they might like for Christmas, right? And you know what will get you punched in the face and and what, right? You, you, you know what their insecurities are and their fears are, and you know the things you can tease them about and the other things you don't tease them about because you got to know them over a long period of time. That's hard, though. But you know what's almost infinitely harder than that is to get to know someone of another gender. Very hard, right? It, in, in fact, the Bible tells us that husbands are to dwell with their wife with understanding. That's just another way of saying you're to dwell with your wife with knowledge of them. You have to know them, and that takes a lifetime. Amen. Amen. It is very, very hard to get to know your wife. Nearly impossible. And, and decades can go by, and, and, and your wife and, and you can be astonished at, do you still not know that about me? Because it's very hard to get so, to know someone who's so different than you. But that's part of the plan of marriage. 
But as hard as it is to get to know someone of the opposite gender, to get to know your spouse, the time that it takes, the conversations, the transparent, vulnerable communication, the sharing of hopes and dreams and fears and, and likes and dislikes, as hard as it is to get to know your spouse, imagine how hard it is to know God. It's impossible. Because God is wholly other. You cannot see him. He dwells in infinite light. His glory is shrouded. And then there's the barrier of sin. So that with your own sin, you are separated from God. And yet you know him to some extent. Amen. You know what he likes. You know what he hates. Amen. You know what pleases him. You know what displeases him. You know how to bless him. And you know the various ways in which he blesses you. And you talk to him. You don't just say the Lord is my shepherd. You say you are my shepherd. Do you understand how blessed we are? It's hard to know your wife. Think how hard it is to know God. And yet you do know him to some extent. Now why is that? It's because he condescended. And he opened up his heart to you. And he told you. He said this is what I like. This is how you please me. This is what I hate. He even said, this is my plan for the universe. Want to be involved? That's how much we know God. He, he reveals himself to us in nature so that you can know him through rainbows and through sunsets and through the lilies of the, lilies of the field and the, and the fed sparrows of the air. You can know him by nature. You can, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the invisible attributes of God are made manifest by the things which he has made so that you can walk through the park, and you could know God more and more. He reveals himself to you in, in analogies. I am a shepherd. I am a father. Right? I, am, I am a king. He reveals himself to you in the very structures of your life. He designed this institution we call marriage in order to demonstrate to you what he's like. You want to get to know God? Get to know your wife. Enjoy your marriage. Because he designs the very structures in which we live to reveal himself to us. He's sharing his heart with us, with humanity. I am a king. He designed the civil magistrate to share with us what he's like. He designed the family to share with us what he's like. He designed the church, for he is a pastor. He is a shepherd, to let us know what he is like. But he's also given us a giant thick book with words in it and given us the ability to reason and to speak so that he could talk to us. Right? It's, it's, wives, it's hard to open up to your husband sometimes, amen? There is a distance between and then there's sin. But God opens up to us and he tells us what he is like. He, he initiates a relationship. And then the Bible says ultimately he reveals himself to us in the word Words are how you open up and you reveal yourself to people. He reveals to us himself in the ultimate word, capital W, which is Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus, you know God. Amen? Do you know him? Let, let us never take for granted that immense blessing. We don't just say the Lord is my shepherd. We say in times of trial, in times of suffering, when the shadows are looming large, 
we say, you are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. And I know you've made promises to me. And I know what you like. And I know what you dislike. And I'm asking you to show me how to make it through this valley. And what to do in these particular circumstances. Change me. Transform me. Guide me. John chapter 7, verse 17, verse 3. Look at this, Christ Church. And this, I, th- I think perhaps now you can understand what this passage means. And this is eternal life. You see, you thought eternal life was just living a long time. No, it's not about length of existence. It is that. But it's about quality of existence. Abundance. Victory. Delight. This is life and life abundant that they know you, the only true God. Not a statue, not an image, not a delusion, not something you came up with in your own imagination, but the true God, the actual God, the real God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the most handsome. You don't have to have PhDs and accolades and accreditations. If you know God, you have everything. You have everything. You have eternal life. You have abundance. You have joy. And you have no reason to fear evil. Amen? Let's all stand. Let me read this verse to us one more time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Father, you are our shepherd, and we submit to your shepherding. We submit unconditionally. We surrender unconditionally to your rod and your staff and to your sovereign will, and that gives us comfort. That wipes away our tears, and that helps us to deal with the shadows and the doubts, and the suspicions, and the fears which loom in our life. I pray, Father, that you would meet every single individual here and every family in this church. I pray that you would meet them and comfort them in the valley of the shadow of death. That they might say with your King David, I will fear no evil. In Jesus Christ's name, and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen.